Amen. So we are in the second week here. This is a, just a hard reset as a church family, a kind of mini-series. We started the Gospel of Matthew in September. We moved through the first four chapters of that right before Advent. We spent a little bit of time during Advent processing some theology in the Christmas songs, particularly the hymns that we sing. And now that we're beginning a new calendar year, it's a good time for us to reset. And what we're resetting around is this word abide and really this command from Jesus in John 15 for his people to abide, to remain, to stay attached to him as we live our lives. So we want to bear fruit. We want to have joy. We want to love other people. But those things don't come by focusing on those things, according to Jesus. According to Jesus, those things come as we abide, literally set, join our, set ourselves in him, join ourselves to him. And so uh, last week, um, the big idea uh, last week was... According to Jesus, abiding in him is the way to satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. So if you want to listen to that, wherever podcasts are found, go ahead and download that podcast, listen to it. You can find it on our website too. But I talked about how so many of us, myself included, feel fragmented both spiritually and relationally. Like this last season, this last year, has, it's, it's produced a lot of fragmentation. And so our rhythms with the Lord are off, um, whether it's through just gathering with a local church, whether it's through communities, whether it's through our time in God's word, our time um, praying, our time fasting, solitude, whatever the disciplines um, that you employ are, I know that many of us have, those disciplines have been interrupted and they've been really hard, at least for me, to regain um, but not only that, we're fragmented relationally as well. We're just, we've, we've had less people around the table, and we've been around less tables uh, this last year than years previous. And so there's great um, fragmentation. We're out of sync. We need a bit of a tune-up within our own souls and within our relationships. And I just want to lay this before you this morning, that what we most need, <clears throat> what human beings most need on the whole is substantial daily connection to the most important thing or the most important person. His name is Jesus. And in John 15, Jesus teaches that staying in him, abiding in him is the way. So if you turn in the black Bibles around the room or if your Bible, if you have it this morning, I hope you do, or the app on your phone, whatever you have in front of you, turn to John chapter 15, the black Bibles, it's on page 848. You can just find your, your way there quickly. I'm going to read the first 17 verses here to just get them percolating in the back of our mind, and then we'll, we'll launch into this morning's message. <clears throat> These are the words of Jesus here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me, Jesus says, that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes or prunes it back so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. Or pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you, Jesus says. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers like dead wood, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words or my teaching abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." 
Jesus says some of the most profound words in the entire New Testament here. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide or remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant or slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Would you speak to us this morning, Holy Spirit? Uh, Take us to the Son. Help us to see him. Motivate us. Give us clear paths for abiding as we walk out of this room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's today's big idea. As we abide in Christ, his way and his will becomes our way and our will. As we abide in Christ, his way and his will become our way and our will. The way of the kingdom becomes the way of his people. The fruit of our abiding, it actually, it brings out the feel of the kingdom of God. As we are abiding in Christ, taking on Christ's likeness, it brings to the people that we live around and that we engage with and interact with, it brings the feel of God's kingdom forward. Um, We become more like Christ through abiding in Christ. And a disciple by definition is a person who is apprenticing themselves to a master, a person who is learning a particular way of life. That's what it means to be an apprentice. And so um, defining, if, if Jesus calls us to be disciples who make disciples, we need to define the target. We need to understand what is at, at the core essence, what is discipleship to Jesus? What is it all about? What is it? It's about Christ-likeness. At its core, what Jesus is wanting to do in us is to form us to be more like him. His way and will taking over, transforming our own way and will. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Um, Verse 28 is a verse that many of us uh, know, we've heard. It's kind of a coffee cup or a t-shirt verse. It's been misused in many ways. It's been spoken way too soon in many ways too. When somebody is grieving um, and you're struggling, you want words to say to that person, you just feel like you need to give them something, maybe don't. Hang back for a moment, embrace them, hug them, let you know that you love them, and then maybe down the line, bring Romans 8, 28 to them. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, knew before the foundation of the world, set his affections on before the foundation of the world, before you had flesh, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined for a purpose. What is the purpose? To be conformed to the image of his son. To become Christ-like. 
in order that Jesus might be called the firstborn or might be the firstborn among many brothers. So all of us bearing the family resemblance, bearing a resemblance of Christ. And those whom he predestined, he also called. That's you, if you are a follower of Jesus. And those whom he called, he also justified. That's you, if you are a follower of Jesus. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Right now, we're finding ourselves in between justification and glorification. Kind of the already and not yet. When we meet Christ face to face, that's when glorification happens for us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to be very explicit about this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what's happening over the course of your life. You don't have your act together and neither do I. That's not what it's about. He is bearing with his people. He is loving his people and he is seeing his work through. His likeness and his ways are coming through. Yes, slow, yes, of course, at various times and seasons of our life, but they are coming. So I just want you to hear that loud and clear. Take heart. The only power that you have to slow that down or to quicken that is through abiding. But you're not going to move yourself outside of it if you're called by him. The more that you and I focus our, ourselves on yoking ourselves to Jesus, the idea of a yoke is the, the, the piece of wood that would go on to oxen and yoke them, cinch them, connect them together as they would pull plows or pull farm equipment. Um, as we yoke ourselves to Jesus, the more Jesus will work through your life, the more that we'll see his work coming through our lives. And so <clears throat> I asked my wife for uh, permission to share this. You don't need to wonder if I have permission to share these details, but I just want to share with you that this is how <clears throat> the, the practice of abiding which we kind of started with last week and which I've been giving myself to in a solid way um, over the last several weeks, three weeks, just like as I feel fragmented, I've been really like, I've taken a hard stop and a hard reset in my own life and I'm really focused on abiding. And so <clears throat> on uh, Tuesday, I came home just a rage monster. Like 5.30, I didn't realize it, but the moment I got in the door, I was hangry and I was like ready to fight. And I walked in the door and like the kid, a couple of kids are downstairs. I can hear our, we just got a puppy. I can, I can hear her barking in her kennel as I'm walking through the door. And so all of a sudden, like I don't have the cognition to recognize that this is what was happening, but my blood pressure is, is rising in that moment. And I, I see the table uh, does not have any like finished dishes for the kids on them at 5.30. And there's like no aroma in the house and I'm hungry. And if you're a parent, you you know, like that five o'clock hour is a weird hour with the kids and like they need food in them or all heck breaks loose in the home, right? So I'm feeling all of this and I just decide to like, to just let everybody have it. And so I was a total jerk in my home, was I not? <laughs> That's my son, Gideon. So just gripey and, uh, and I go upstairs and I just like, I have some really short words for my wife and she's like, whoa, did not expect this. And, uh, and, and I knew like I was living out of step with the spirit in that moment. Like I, I could, I was starting to, the, the, the cognition was starting to come into my brain that I'm like the way that I'm operating is of the flesh and not how, not what I've been practicing the last several weeks. And so <clears throat> as my, as Meredith 
kind of got her head about her. Uh, she just, like, she straight up rebuked me. Um, she told me what I needed to hear, and what she told me was true. And the point of even telling this story is that through the practice of abiding over the course of the week and several weeks, I was um, in that moment where she's speaking truth to me that I don't want to hear because I'm full of the flesh in the moment. Because of that abiding and that relationship that I've been cultivating with the Lord, I was able to hear his voice more readily than is typical. And so even as she's speaking to me, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit saying, she's right, dude. Like, she is right. Listen to her. You're wrong. She's right in this moment. You need to repent. You need to stop. And so I was like, okay, I'm really mad right now, and I have no right to be. I'm wrong, but I like can't turn all of this off right now, but I have it here. Can you just give me a couple of minutes because I need to get this in sync with what I know to be true in that moment. And I think that as we practice abiding, I'm recognizing like that's some of the fruit of abiding is an ear that is more ready in a moment um, to hear the spirit of God speaking to us and then to respond to him. So I am, if you're hearing me as the hero of that story, you've heard the story wrong. I'm not the hero of that story. The spirit of God, Jesus Christ is the hero of that story for turning my heart, for transforming me like he does. The more that you focus on yoking yourself to Jesus, I'm learning in real time, the more Jesus Christ will work through your life. Now, you might be asking the question, how do I yoke myself? How do I connect myself to Jesus Christ? Here is a primary way through a relentless commitment to work Jesus' teaching down into your bones. How do we yoke ourselves to him? Through a relentless commitment to work his teaching, his objective teaching, down deep into our bones. This is what Jesus um, speaks of when he calls us to yoke ourselves to him. He's, he's, he's asking us to take on his way of life. And the only way that we're going to be able to cognitively know what his way of life is is by knowing what his standards are, what he expects of us, his teaching. So um, in the coming weeks, we're going to get back into Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, G uh, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is uh, the New Testament's um, most condensed and, uh, and, and really like dense body of Jesus's teaching. And so we're going to spend week after week after week after week, uh, the remainder of this, uh, at least the first half of the year, um, learning and giving ourselves to Jesus's actual teaching. What did he say in the Sermon on the Mount? <clears throat> now, um, this question might seem disconnected at first, but it's not disconnected. So I'm going to kind of, you, you might feel that in, in, as I ask this question. Um, this is probably one of the biggest questions that a, a follower of God, a follower of Jesus asks. What is the will of God for my life? Have you found yourself asking that question in various times and seasons? What is God? I want to know. Some, people, some of us wring our hands over this question. This question keeps us up at night and it refuses us sleep because we are so insistent on trying to find out what the will of God is for my life. That's an excellent question. I'm going to answer it for you. The will of God for your life at the end of the day is that you abide in Christ. 
That's the will of God for your life, that you would abide in Christ, that you would yoke yourself to him. I'm convinced that we complicate the will of God. I'm persuaded that the will of God for your life is overwhelmingly concerned with who you are over what you do. Because who you are always determines what you do. So I'm thinking like, if maybe, uh, this is a big talk, topic, but I'll break down the gist here. Um, if you are who you, if, if you are who God wants you to be, that is a person who abides in Christ, then you will be able to go anywhere at any time and bear witness to the goodness of God through your life. That's what's true. So you might have five options in front of you and all of them are good choices. Maybe those five options regard your future. Um, Great, I'm glad that you have so many options in front of you, but we know like more options oftentimes produces uh, more difficulty in making a, a, a decision on which direction we're going to go. Be who God is calling you to be through abiding. Seek wise counsel, weigh your options, and then choose what seems best to you. I'm thinking of some of you students at Moody. You're, uh, you're learning to fly planes. You're learning to work on airplanes. You want to be support staff for, uh, for, for missions globally. And you're in school right now and you're dreaming of your future and you love people groups out there and you might have a couple of really good options in front of you. Focus yourself on abiding in Jesus Christ and he will make it clear to you. And the reality is, is that you might have 15 nations in front of you that you can go to, seek wise counsel, stay in step with the Holy Spirit, And where you go is where he wants you to be. Continue to abide. He may redirect you. You may end up serving in multiple countries over the course of your life and career. I want you to see God as the father who gives good gifts to his kids. You will not thwart his will as you are abiding in him. You don't have to concern yourself with that. That is for him to oversee. Now, I want to turn to the fruit of abiding that Jesus speaks of in uh, John 15. Uh, Christian fruit is, it's it's the result of a specific, it's the result or the reward of a specific activity. That's what Jesus means to bear fruit. So there's a good fruit or a good result that comes forward as a result of abiding. Um, Here are four different but connected uh, fruits that Jesus speaks of. Uh, in this passage in particular in John 15. This is where I'm, there's other fruit of abiding with Jesus Christ, but these I'm pulling right out of this text. I'm staying anchored to this text. Um, a life of prayer, a life of joy, a life of obedience, and a life of love. These things are directly associated in this text. As you abide, these fruits are gonna begin to show up on the tree of your life. That's just what's going to happen. You don't have to wring your hands. You don't have to do all the things. You don't have to worry yourself with outcomes. See to abiding, the rest will come. Are you hearing me on that? Yeah? A life of prayer comes from our abiding. 
Jesus prayed for the Father's will to be his own. In, in one of his most desperate circumstances in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed for the Father's will to be his own will. And we know that that was just the outcome of the rest of his prayer life. Abiding in Christ leads us to love prayer. Abiding in Jesus Christ leads, you, you struggle with prayer? Don't worry about prayer. Set your mind on abiding. Prayer is one of the ways that we do abide, so it's necessary, so you're gonna have to come to that soon. But focus yourself on abiding. There's a difference between a person who prays and a praying person. Those phrases aren't just semantics. Uh, a person who prays is praying at, at a lot of times uh, during the day, or maybe you're praying in moments of crisis, or maybe you're praying in moments of opportunity or need. But the praying person, that's a person who prays. A praying person is, is a person who um, never shuts it off is learning to never shut it off. You remember old school rotary phones? Like you would, uh, the person would, you'd like try to hang up the phone and then you'd pick it back up to call somebody else, but the other person hadn't picked up the phone and the line was still connected. Like sometimes that happens even on our cell phones. Like the line is always open. That's what it's like for a praying person. So a praying person does pray at a lot of times during the day. We schedule our prayer into the day, but, but it never really shuts off. We're, we, we still are going. That's one of, the, one of the great benefits of abiding for me over the last several weeks is that I've been really focused on, on, on prayer in 2018 and 2019. And for some reason, like the wheels came off and I just struggled and struggled and struggled over almost the entire year of 2020. And as I've been focusing my myself on abiding, all like that prayerfulness, that mindfulness, that open line has been open in, uh, in substantial ways. It feels totally different over the last couple of weeks than it did in 2020 for me. Jesus makes a startling promise in verse seven. He says, if you abide in me and my words or my teaching abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Eugene Peterson in the, uh, the message paraphrase uh, he says, your prayers will be listened to and acted upon. That's good exegesis of Jesus' words right there. Ask whatever you wish in my name and it will be done for you. Your prayers will be listened to and acted upon. Asking and receiving, it's not the only point of praying for us, but it is one of the reasons that we pray. We are people who have needs and God is our provider, is he not? He calls you and I to bear witness about himself in our, um, in, in our asking. Or rather, he, he, he calls us to ask, and then he bears witness about himself in our asking. He's our father who gives good gifts to his kids. Uh, one of the roles of a father is to provide. If you have kids, you know, like, that is, it just instinctually, even if you don't have kids, you know that, like, that is a, a, a primary uh, task, obligation, responsibility, privilege of a father. My kids ask me for things constantly. Sometimes I give, sometimes I choose not to. It's not a one-to-one -one illustration because I'm not perfect and I'm not God, but in the moments that my kids ask me for things, I hold the power as their daddy of yes and no. Um, sometimes I love my kids through giving them things like bedtime kisses or hugs or that late night glass of water that they're wanting or a soda at the right time uh, during the day. But there are other times that I choose to say no. I love my kids through saying no to them. 
when they're asking for a pop at the end of the day, I know that that's going to wreck their sleep. Or when they're wanting to stay up late reading, and I know because I have the foresight to see what's coming in front of them the, the following day, I have, um, I, I have the benefit of, of understanding that. Their interpretation might be that I'm stingy or that I'm mean, but I know what the equivalent of 35 packets of sugar before bedtime is going to do to a little kid, Right? Jesus is, uh, he's, he's making the connection here that through the process of abiding prayer, we're going to come to understand and trust his heart. That's the connection that he's making here, that through the process of abide, through the practice of abiding prayer, we are going to come to understand, want, and trust his heart. And this understanding and trust will shape our hearts. It's going to begin to to move in and transform and shape what we want. And so ideally, I say this because my kids are still pretty small. Some of you have teenagers, you're laughing at me right now, but ideally my kids are gonna grow in maturity and in wisdom and be able to say no to like, cans of soda right before they hit the sack or staying up too late when they know that important things are, are coming on tomorrow morning's horizon. We've all like said this probably ourselves. I get it now. I get what mom and dad were trying to do back then. I didn't understand it then. I understand it now. Now, as Jesus makes his home in, um, the father's, in our father's love, it shaped his most desperate prayers it shaped his most desperate prayers. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he would go to the cross, he would say, Father, please take this cup or the cup of your wrath from me. I know what is about to happen to me at the hands of the Romans, at the call of the, the, the Jews, the Pharisees. I know what's gonna happen and I don't want it. Everything in me wants to walk away from this. And then we see in that moment of prayer and stress that he says, no, not my will, but your will be done. As we abide and as we make our home in Jesus' love, it will shape our prayers too. And we'll be led to pray for exactly what God wants in many situations through a practice and a commitment to abiding. And we'll come to experience the joy of communion with God. We'll come to experience the joy of answered prayer. Abiding in Christ leads to answered prayers because abiding conforms our prayers to the will of God. Abiding in Christ leads to answered prayers because abiding conforms your prayers to the heart of God, to the will of God. And something else that comes through a life of abiding is a life of, a life of joy. Joy just begins to trickle up. Joy is something that can, that can remain, that can stay with us in times of great grief or times when we're elated and we're happy and, and things have gone exceedingly well for us. Joy can remain present through the full spectrum of that. It's not happiness that is contingent on circumstances, but joy abides in the human life through all circumstances, or it can. Joy actually drove Jesus to us. Hebrews 12.2 says that for the joy set before him, he would endure the cross and despise the shame for the purpose of redeeming us. So in his agony, there is still joy present in Christ that would drive him to us and abiding in Christ drives us to live joyfully as we begin to see things through his eyes. And so um, Jesus teaches this, his disciples um, about the, the importance of abiding for a compelling reason, that the joy that he lives with and the joy that he shares with the Father will begin to infuse itself throughout our lives in the good stuff and in the hard stuff. 
I said this, uh, Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy before Jesus, our redemption and our future glory with him, um, he would endure the pain of the cross. Now, ancient narrative, as we're just reading through the New Testament, ancient narrative is big on fact and it's pretty low on emotional description. It's not totally low on it, but it's just not the style of um, Eastern ancient biblical writers to often embellish stories. They would make statements like, and they were filled with great joy, but they would just be concise, kind of short statements. They're not filling in all of the details for us. So it requires intentionality on our part as we read through the Bible, um, as we work through the gospels to see the clues where Jesus's joy shines. And there's the scene in John chapter 21. It's after Jesus has been raised from the dead um, in John 21 and 22, where um, these disciples have, they're, they're back out on the Sea of Galilee and they're fishing. And these disciples have been out on the Sea of Galilee and they've been fishing all night long and they've been skunked all night long. You know how bad that is when you put in a lot of time fishing and you get skunked. And they start to approach shore and they see a guy that they don't recognize to be Jesus on the shore. And this person tells them to cast their their net over the side of the boat. And if they do, they'll catch a bunch of fish. And for some reason, these seasoned fishermen, maybe they knew it, maybe they thought it was another fisherman who had seen some activity right there close to the shore. And so they ended up doing that. And all of a sudden their nets start to fill up with fish. If you've ever fished, you know that fish on is a thing. Like when you get a, when you, when you get a bite and you set the hook, somebody will say fish on and like, there's, there's a lot of joy just like in that moment. Imagine 100, 153 fish in, large fish in a net in that moment with these seasoned fishermen. They, uh, they, they, um, John's gospel in John 21, he actually tells us that uh, they struggled to bring all of these fish in. These are blue collar, strong dudes. They are equipped to do this and they're struggling to bring all of these fish in. Here's my point. Jesus is the architect of joy in that circumstance. He's the one who told them to cast the net. He's the one who has created all things, has created them. He is the architect of joy in that moment. And so as these disciples obeyed the risen Christ's words, they experienced great joy. And their needs were met too because these fish would provide income for them. And Jesus in the text, it even says that he made them breakfast. Like he even had a campfire made and some bread out on it and some fish. And then he asked them to bring some of the fresh fish and they feasted together there. Uh, that's not my choice for breakfast, but it's apparently what, what, they, what they go with. So uh, as we abide, we, uh, we're empowered um, to pray and uh, God gives us a praying life. Um, he gives us a, uh, a life of joy and he also will shape obedience in us. Um, Jesus perfectly did the will of the Father through abiding in our Father. And so abiding with Christ leads us to joyful obedience as well. It's something that we want to do. It's not drudgery. For a person who abides, obeying Jesus Christ becomes your way, becomes your will. It's what you want to do. His way and will moves in and takes over ours. And so when we follow Jesus's lead and when we obey Jesus's commands, we're choosing by that, um, that act of our will to stay in the pocket of his will. Know this, um, Jesus has positional authority. He's God, you're not, I'm not. 
he knows what is best. Um, going back, uh, I've been listening a bit to uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message of John 15, and he makes the feel of this come alive. He says, this is how he, this is how he explains this portion of John 15, verse 10. Um, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. I've kept my Father's commands and made myself at home in his love. Now, the order here as we listen to this is crucial. We've got to stop for a moment and we've got to get the order right. We keep Jesus' commands because he loves us, not so that he will love us. Religion says, do what God says and then he'll love you. The gospel says he has loved you. Respond in obedience. Because he loves us, we keep his commands. So, for example, if you've ever had a good boss, this is clear. Um, when a great boss tells you to do something and you do it, you remain, you're, you're living life in order. You're living life with the grain. You've got an employer that you're responsible to. They have authority and love for you. And as an employee, you have a responsibility to them, but also love for them. So you do what he or she tells you to do, right? But if you go against the grain on that, on what the boss has told you to do, um, you have effectively removed yourself from abiding in that place of love and trust. You haven't, as an employee, necessarily lost the relationship with your boss, but the relationship will shift as they are um, required to bring correction your way and you're required to receive it or, or, to, or to move on. Um, Jesus doesn't say, abide and I'll love you. He says, abide in my love. So if you obey him, it's proof for us that we are abiding. And, uh, and it's also proof that uh, in verse eight, that we would bear much fruit and so prove to be Jesus's disciples. Now, the best path to obeying Jesus, just a few more minutes here, so hang with me. And if you're tuning out, tune back in. The best path to obeying Jesus is through abiding in his love, and it's by, it's, it's by knowing objectively what he asks of you. Again, I'm going back to that theme of getting his teaching down deep into your bones, becoming familiar with his teaching so that when moments come and you have an opportunity to respond according to your own wisdom or you have an opportunity to respond according to his wisdom, you know what he wants of you and you can choose that. And then you can choose that and choose that and choose that. So um, he, he would say in verse seven, if you abide in me and my words or my teaching abide in you. If you want to catch fish, if you want to learn to start a business, if you want to learn to sow, whatever it might be, it's a good idea to get a teacher who can instruct you. And Jesus is our master teacher. Uh, the Apostle John, at the end, he'd write another letter to a small church. It's called Second John. In verse 9, he'd say this about Jesus' teaching. Everyone who goes on ahead or leaves and departs Jesus' teaching doesn't abide in the teaching. Uh, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Abiding is crucial. Abiding is the proof in many ways that you do, that you are allegiant to him. And as we abide, we not only experience lives of prayer and lives of joy and uh, an obedience that just starts to bubble up and, and out of us, but we also um, we experience lives of love. Jesus gave up his own life as the ultimate proof of his love. 
And we then, as we follow his lead, lay down our lives as an unmistakable way to help others see and to come and know his own love too. Jesus will give other, other disciples, or he'll give these disciples other commandments uh, to follow and obey. But here in John 15, um, Jesus gives a top-tier commandment, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. You love the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the church here, as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the biggest, most bold and robust kind of love that exists when a person will actually give their life up in order to help another person live. You're my friends if you do what I command you, he says. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. A master would just tell a servant to do it, and he's not going to give them the why. They're just responsible to him. But Jesus says, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. So he opens up his very heart to his friends go on in verse 16 to say, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's good news. And I appointed you, if the most uh, authoritative, good, supreme one in all of creation has chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your your fruit should abide, that is really good news. He's also saying here that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. As our way and will becomes conformed to his way and will, our prayers begin to echo what he wants. Jesus will finish this in verse 17 by saying, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Our love for one another will be a fruit of abiding. You don't have to worry. You don't love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. No, abide with Christ and that love is going to start coming through your life. Our work is abiding. Now, last week I gave uh, three ways, just three simple ways, not all the ways, just a few ways that I could think of that as I know you, um, that we could give ourselves to abiding. Um, The first way that I said, soak yourself in um, John chapter 15, which is this text that we're in here. But I want to add another chapter to that. If you've been doing that, um, thank you. Uh, I hope that it's bearing fruit in your life. Um, Go to John, John 16 as well. So just soak yourself in John 15 and 16. And then I said, Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one is all gospel. Um, The apostle Paul tells the church to do absolutely nothing. He's just talking repeatedly about what God has done for us in Christ in Ephesians chapter one. Add Ephesians chapter two to that. So John chapter 15 and 16, Ephesians chapter one and chapter two, just soak in it, just let it play on the dwell app, which is point two. Like if you're, if you struggle to read the word, uh, by all means, like engage with the scriptures, the written word, please. But if you um, are more of an auditory learner and listener, uh, we have provided a, a subscription to this app that is killer. If you're a guest with us this morning, it's yours. No obligation. Go to the link on the screen and download that and listen to it. It's an incredible Bible audio app that's got all kinds of versions, all kinds of voices, different dialects, different controls. You can repeat things. You can put in moments of um, reflection, like pauses in the audio to reflect on certain things. It's just a great way to have the word of God read aloud to you. The third thing that I said was parent your phone. Um, Kick your phone out of your bedroom. Just try it for a couple of weeks in order to create an attentive uh, mindset 
I said that I, personally, uh, I've been practicing that. I want to remember him well in the morning. The best way to remember him well in the morning is to prepare the night before. And so I parented my phone. I put it to, to bed downstairs um, outside of my own bedroom. And then my, my goal at night as I'm falling asleep, in between getting in bed and falling asleep, is just to thank the Lord for the people and events of my day and then drift off to sleep or read a book or do whatever it is that, that you do. Uh, that may be a really good way for you to just kind of untether yourself from this little device. Here's the fourth thing. Watch. And this is where we'll end. Watch what begins to happen in your life. As you just employ these practices on a regular basis, you'll be praying more. You'll have access to joy in new ways. Consideration and obedience to Jesus will become more intuitive for you and instinctual to you. And you'll recognize that you're growing in love. And it's a Christ-like love. It's not a love that you can manufacture on your own. So our work still, church, is to consider how we are abiding. Maybe these things work for you. Maybe you have something else on your mind um, that you'll employ to abide, to abide that works well for you. Other disciplines like fasting and solitude and silence, whatever it might be for you. Um, our work, church, is abiding. Fruitfulness as a church will come from our abiding. Yes? Amen? All right, um, next week will be the final week in this uh, just short little mini-series on Abide. And what I'm gonna bring before you is something called a rule of life. How many have heard of a rule of life? Has anybody heard of a rule of life? This is an old uh, practice that goes back to at least the sixth century. Um, and a rule of life, it's not rules for life. It's not adding more things into our lives that we have to then do and feel guilty because we fall short of. A rule of life is, um, I'm gonna bring a series of questions and it's gonna be more workshop style uh, next week, um, helping us to consider and to potentially craft a rule of life for ourselves. A rule of life is a set of governing practices that we, ne we don't ever wanna grow out of. And the first point of a rule of life is that we, would, um, that we would consider how do we abide with God and how do we abide with others? How do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how will I love others? And it's a set of commitments and practices, not necessarily things we have to do, but things that should take priority in our life. So that's what we're going to do next week. Father, thank you for uh, time together this morning. Uh, with you and your word, uh, work your way and your will deep into our hearts. That's what we need. That's what we want. Where we don't want it, move in and make us want it uh, in a way that it just uh, becomes sweet to us. Uh, empower this church to bear great fruit. Um, correct us where we're wrong. Bring us help where we need it. We love you. We're yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.